welcome everyone to our FSR podcast series. My name is Ben Goodman. I'm an of counsel at HSF, and I've got two of my colleagues from the financial services regulatory team here with me today. That's Karen Anderson, who's a partner, and Kat Dankos, a regulatory consultant. Today, we're going to talk about the FCA guidance for firms on the fair treatment of vulnerable consumers, what it means in terms of treating customers fairly, and how to navigate the FCA guidance. Protecting vulnerable consumers is a key priority for the FCA. The FCA has now published its final guidance with the aim of helping firms to improve their treatment of vulnerable consumers and ensuring their protection. The guidance establishes four key focus areas for firms. The first is understanding the needs of vulnerable consumers. The second is ensuring staff have the right skills and capability to deal with the needs of vulnerable consumers. The third is the practical action needed to take into account the needs of vulnerable consumers. And the fourth is effective monitoring and evaluation of the actions the firm is taking to ensure they treat vulnerable consumers fairly. Ultimately, the aim is for vulnerable consumers to experience outcomes as good as other consumers and to ensure consistently fair treatment across the firms and sectors the FCA regulate. Now, just to reiterate, this is guidance on the FCA's principles for businesses, and it applies to all firms subject to those principles. It sets out the FCA's views of what firms might do to comply with their obligations under the principles and to ensure they treat vulnerable customers fairly. It's really important to be clear about the fact that the guidance does not deal with all the responsibilities firms have to vulnerable consumers. Over and above the principles for businesses, there are other requirements. For example, those relating to unfair contract terms or unfair commercial practices and under general consumer law and the Equality Act. Now these must also be complied with irrespective of the guidance. So we're here today to break down the guidance and to discuss how it can be implemented in practical terms. This is a subject of increasing importance and regulatory focus, particularly in light of the impact of COVID-19 where 23% of workers have either been furloughed or lost their jobs in the UK. In framing the guidance, the FCA says at the outset that it has had regard to the general principle that consumers should take responsibility for their choices and decisions, but then goes on to point out that there are very real factors, namely the characteristics of vulnerability, that may limit their ability to do so. Karen, could you take us through the definition of a vulnerable consumer? Yes, of course, Ben. A vulnerable consumer is someone who, due to their personal circumstances, is especially susceptible to harm, particularly when a firm is not acting with appropriate levels of care. The FCA sees vulnerability as a spectrum of risk. All consumers are at risk of becoming vulnerable. This risk is increased by characteristics of vulnerability, and the FCA has highlighted four key drivers which may result in consumers having additional or different needs. First, health. And this could include physical disability, severe or long-term illness, mental health condition, addiction, or cognitive disabilities. Secondly, life events, including things like bereavement, job loss, or relationship breakdown, domestic abuse, and caring responsibilities. Third, resilience, being able to withstand shocks, whether financial, so over-indebtedness or having low savings, or emotional, low emotional resilience. And fourth, capability, namely financial capability, 
including low knowledge or understanding of financial matters, of how to manage money, issues with literacy, digital skills, or poor English language skills. And it's worth stressing that when a customer highlights one driver of vulnerability, there's a significant likelihood that other drivers may also be present. The FCA highlights the importance for firms in understanding the characteristics of vulnerability of their target market and main customer base. If they do not, the FCA says firms will not be able to ensure that staff, products and services meet the appropriate levels of care for vulnerable consumers. Thanks very much, Karen. I note that the FCA's Financial Lives Survey in 2020 found that 46% of adults in the UK, that's 24.1 million people, had one or more characteristics of vulnerability. By October 2020, the FCA's COVID-19 panel survey indicated that this had an increase to 53%. Yes, COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on so many people. And while not all consumers with characteristics of vulnerability will in fact be vulnerable, they may be more likely to have additional or different needs and a different level of care is likely to be appropriate. But in seeking to achieve the FCA's goal for vulnerable consumers to experience outcomes as good as those for other consumers, firms really face a very considerable challenge, not least because vulnerability can bring with it behavioural and personal consequences. For example, heightened stress levels or a lack of perspective. And these can affect both how vulnerable consumers engage with service providers and their decision making. As a result, frontline staff dealing with vulnerable customers may well face some quite difficult situations and themselves benefit from practical and emotional support to improve their own mental and emotional resilience and to help them engage with vulnerable consumers more sensitively. And the fact that some consumers may not want to be labelled vulnerable doesn't make the task any easier for firms. Research tells us that some of the most acutely vulnerable actively want their particular needs to be recognised and frontline staff may be guided to recognise those who use the Sunflower Lanyard Scheme to self-identify as having a hidden disability. But many who are arguably not so far along the spectrum of risk may not be comfortable with being considered vulnerable. So the FCA suggests that in interactions with consumers, firms should focus on any particular needs, harm or disadvantage to which the consumer may be vulnerable and consider how to respond appropriately instead of using the term vulnerable. Thanks, Karen. So are there any groups of people that are more likely to show one or more characteristics of vulnerability? Some groups will plainly be more susceptible to vulnerability. The most obvious group is the elderly, who are more likely to suffer health and life events. To give a personal example, after my father's death last year, the bank, not in this country, immediately cancelled my mother's cards and weren't offering any resolution in less than eight weeks. My elderly but normally very decisive mother was quite frankly bereft, lost and helpless after losing her life partner of 68 years and then developed stress-related cardiomyopathy. I didn't have any hesitation in using the word vulnerable and advocating for her with the bank. But other groups, and particularly with COVID-19, might potentially include the unemployed, as well as those without formal qualifications, and those who rent property. Now, this guidance doesn't provide a simple checklist of actions that firms should take to comply with it. No, the guidance sets out a number of ways in which firms can achieve the outcomes and comply with their obligations under the principles for businesses. The guidance aims to inform firms' approach to protecting vulnerable consumers 
but also for them to be creative in finding methods that allow them to best serve such consumers. Given this is just guidance, why should firms take it seriously? Firms can in theory comply with their obligations under the principles in ways other than those described in the guidance. And departing from the guidance doesn't, you're right, indicate a breach of a rule. On the other hand, a firm that follows the guidance in the circumstances contemplated will be treated by the FCA as having complied with the principles to which the guidance relates. We know, of course, that the FCA has taken enforcement action under the principles for businesses, which are rules and are binding on firms, both for failures in treating vulnerable consumers fairly, but also for failures in establishing and implementing policies to identify vulnerable consumers. And where a breach of the principles or rules has been established, the impact of the breach on particularly vulnerable people will be an aggravating factor, which may increase the penalty. There are also plenty of examples of the FCA referring to the existence of relevant guidance not followed as an aggravating factor in enforcement cases. Thanks, Karen. So we know that the FCA's regulation is outcomes-focused and based on a combination of principles for businesses and other high-level rules, as well as detailed rules and guidance. So what are the most important principles when it comes to vulnerable customers? So the key principle which underpins the need for firms to take particular care in the treatment of vulnerable consumers is Principle 6, Customers' Interests. This requires firms to pay due regard to the interests of its customers and treat them fairly. So, for example, Principle 6 could be breached by a failure to support customers once identified as vulnerable or who should have been identified as vulnerable but were not. In addition, Principle 7, communications with customers, and Principle 9, taking reasonable care to ensure the suitability of advice and discretionary decisions, can also come into play. And the relevant interests and needs that firms have to have due regard to and what is reasonable care in the relevant circumstances will depend on the characteristics of the customer. The FCA also expects to see firms integrating an understanding of the needs of vulnerable consumers into their business so that they can meet the requirements of Principle 2, due care and skill, and Principle 3, organising and controlling affairs. This means ensuring the business and staff have the necessary knowledge and skills to treat vulnerable consumers fairly, and having adequate processes and control systems in place to ensure the firm is managing the risk of harm to vulnerable customers. So, for example, Principle 2 could be breached by failing to take adequate care to properly understand a customer's unique circumstances, for example, in short and long-term financial position, or their personal circumstances such as illness, unemployment, bereavement or relationship breakdown. A breach of Principle 3 might involve failing to establish and implement policies that identify consumers who are vulnerable or are experiencing financial difficulties, weakness in the design and operation of automated processes to do so, and weaknesses and gaps in management information about the volume of vulnerable customers, which may impair the firm's ability to monitor and evaluate the way it treats vulnerable consumers. And this last one is particularly important given that that's something that is also going to be a matter the FCA is monitoring. Kat, what is the FCA intending to do here? Okay, so there's a section of the guidance um, where the FCA talks about how it intends to monitor the treatment of vulnerable consumers. And the FCA has said at that point that it intends to apply a vulnerability lens to its supervision and enforcement work. What this practically means is that the FCA will be integrating consideration of vulnerability into its day-to-day supervisory practices. 
So for firms which have a named FCA supervisor or dedicated supervision team, this could manifest in, for example, how the FCA conducts deep dive exercises on complaints handling, where the regulator may seek to understand how vulnerability is identified by the firm and how the firm responds to that vulnerability, both maybe at the level of an individual case and more broadly, how the firm conducts its root cause analysis. Now, that's just one scenario. Similarly, where firms predominantly operate in the retail space or have a large number of retail consumers, they should expect that as part of the SCA's proactive engagement agenda, the question of vulnerability will be raised, for example, in annual strategy meeting and in the regulators' meetings with key individuals through the regulatory cycle. And indeed, there's potential for it to be raised as much with the head of retail banking who oversees product design and development as with the head of ICT who oversees the development of digital channels. The majority of firms will not have a dedicated FCA supervision team, but these firms should expect to see FCA overlaying the vulnerability lens in thematic reviews, for example, or other multi-firm work. Chapter four of the guidance discusses products sold through intermediaries and distribution chains. We know this has been an area of FCA focus and intervention for some time, and that looks set to continue to be a priority. It wouldn't be surprising, therefore, for vulnerability considerations to be a feature of the next multi-firm work on distribution chains, just as an example. Fundamentally, the FCA's supervisory approach to vulnerability does not mean a one-off exercise on vulnerability. Another area to highlight with regard to monitoring is that of uh, management information, or MI. The FCA will not require firms to monitor or to report on specific metrics, but firms must be able to demonstrate how their culture and processes result in the fair treatment of all customers including those who are vulnerable. Firms will really need to think carefully about how they meet this challenge of demonstrable. It seems likely that this will see firms develop an approach of regular enhancement to data collection and analysis that they do. This also raises the question about how the SCA itself will ensure consistency in its approach to supervised um, firms um, and how they will approach this without some element of defining metrics or benchmarking internally within the organization. This is also, of course, relevant in the context of enforcement, as Karen has already discussed. And as much as we see the FCA reference thematic reviews and other guidance in published enforcement notices, we may expect the same with respect to this guidance. Non-compliance with or perhaps non-alignment with the outcomes the guidance proposes may be cited in future enforcement actions. Thanks, Kat. Now, as we said at the outset, the FCA has four main areas of focus. And most of the guidance is devoted to these four areas. Kat, can you talk us through the first area of focus, understanding the needs of vulnerable consumers? So the first guideline about understanding the needs of vulnerable consumers says that firms should understand the nature and scale of the vulnerability characteristics in their target consumer base and target market. Firms should understand how vulnerability might affect the consumer experience. So, for example, firms that advise on investments and pensions will tend to have an older customer base. So common characteristics of vulnerability may involve health and life events associated with old age. If a firm is selling high cost credit, for example, its customer base may have common characteristics of vulnerability caused by lack of financial resilience, such as inadequate or erratic income. Some characteristics of vulnerability, such as bereavement and relationship breakdown, will be present across all sectors. Thanks, Kat. Now, Karen, the second area of focus is on the skills and capability of staff. Can you tell us some more about that? Yes, Ben. Staff right across the firm can play a crucial role in meeting the needs of vulnerable consumers. 
These consumers are much more likely to suffer harm if staff don't understand that vulnerability is relevant to their role or don't have the skills and capability to recognise vulnerable customers and respond to their needs. The FCA highlights the importance of empathy and of empowered and knowledgeable staff in delivering fair treatment of customers. To achieve this, the FCA expects firms to create a culture that prioritises the fair treatment of vulnerable customers and that empowers and supports staff to take responsibility for reducing potential harm to vulnerable customers. This means staff should be given the necessary skills to recognise a range of characteristics of vulnerability and to respond to them effectively. Staff training on vulnerability should be regularly reviewed and updated. Some good practice examples include creating training manuals or how-to guides with input from charities or trade bodies, providing staff with the opportunity to share their knowledge and experience with colleagues, and perhaps appointing key team members as vulnerability champions who can provide additional guidance in complex cases. Thanks, Karen. Uh, Kat, now the third area of focus is on firms taking practical action. Can you tell us some more about that? Sure, Ben. Taking practical action refers to how a firm can meet the needs of vulnerable consumers by implementing proactive measures of care in the design of their products, their customer services, and also how they communicate with their customers. In terms of the design of product and services, while some of these may not be seen as harmful, they could have features that are harmful to vulnerable consumers. So, for example, the FCA found that short-term credit with high fees and charges for rollovers were negatively affecting consumers with low financial resilience. The FCA therefore intervened to limit the extension of such rollovers. If a firm's business model intentionally exploits vulnerable consumers, this is going to be a clear breach of the FCA's principles. However, harm to vulnerable consumers can occur unintentionally, and firms should actively consider the likelihood of any unintended effects when they're developing products and services. Firms should really embed the consideration of vulnerability into product governance, both at the inception stages and on an ongoing basis, not forgetting to also consider vulnerability when deciding to withdraw a product from the market. It will not be good enough for a firm to say, when we started selling this product two years ago, it was only sold to and purchased by customers in this cohort, which was in line with our target market when we developed it. But we didn't notice, or we didn't take any action, when last year it started to be purchased by customers in this cohort, for whom it's unlikely to deliver suitable outcomes. Thanks, Kat. Karen, could you describe how firms can improve their customer service towards vulnerable consumers? There's a range of things firms can do. Ensuring that vulnerable consumers are given adequate care, time and kindness during the customer service is key. As we said earlier, vulnerable consumers may be more susceptible to stress. Providing customer service that is patient and attentive can make a huge difference. Staff need to be active listeners. Body language and even tone of voice can have a major impact on a customer's experience. And staff trained to identify signs of vulnerability should also be empowered to deliver a customer service that tends to the needs of vulnerable consumers in a flexible manner. An interesting good practice example I heard given in an FCA workshop involved a relatively new frontline staff member dealing with an elderly customer who seemed agitated and was asking to withdraw all his savings in cash immediately. She tried to explore why he wanted such a large amount of cash and was met with a strong response, it's my money and I can do what I like. 
She persevered and he became quite distressed. So she left the till, took him aside to a private room, gave him a cup of tea and settled him down. Eventually, it transpired that he was acting under duress from his son-in-law, who was waiting outside the branch for him and the money. The police and social services were then called and the customer kept his savings. Firms shouldn't discourage staff from taking extra time to respond to vulnerable consumers' needs. Sometimes they may just need more time and help. Pressure selling is unlikely to be appropriate. So a customer with a sum of money to invest as a result of a negative life event, such as, for example, a life insurance payout or compensation for a life-changing accident, may need more time and help to consider all the information and their options to ensure that they reach a conclusion which is best for them in the long term. And it's also really important that pay and reward structures shouldn't just look at volumes or speed of consumers served, but also at the quality of service and the outcomes achieved. Thanks, Karen. Those are all great points. That takes us to the third aspect of taking practical action, which is communications. Can you explain the FCA's guidance on communicating with customers? Yes, of course, Ben. Some vulnerable consumers may struggle to understand financial products and services. So firms need to communicate with vulnerable customers in a way that's clear and easy to understand. This doesn't just cover language used, but also methods of communication. Some consumers may have sight or hearing impairments, so firms should consider these factors when communicating with customers and ensure they are using the best channel of communication for each individual customer. Where possible, firms should offer multiple channels of communication so that vulnerable consumers have the flexibility of choice. The guidance gives an example of a customer with cancer who wanted to understand why he was being charged for his overdraft. He didn't want to speak to a person as he felt pretty ill, and he didn't have good phone reception in hospital. So he contacted his bank via secure email in his banking app and received a response from the customer service team. Although he wasn't actually satisfied with the outcome of his query, he was happy that the bank had got back to him promptly via his preferred communication method. To help them in their communications, firms can also draw on analytics and technology using data from previous interactions, for example, to establish the best time of day to contact a particular consumer based on their profile, to predict the best agent to hand out a customer's call and to route it to them, or simply to offer alternatives such as apps, online portals, and chatbots for people who don't want to talk to a team member. That takes us to the final focus area, monitoring and evaluation. What is the importance of effective monitoring and evaluation for firms? So it's important for firms to monitor and evaluate their products and services to ensure that they're consistently achieving the outcomes, which we talked about earlier for consumers. Um, This means that firms should implement the right processes to evaluate where they are meeting the needs of vulnerable customers and also where they need to improve. We mentioned earlier that the FCA will not require firms to monitor or report on specific metrics but that they will ask firms to demonstrate how their culture and processes result in the fair treatment of all customers, including those who are vulnerable. Firms will already be producing product, sales, and service management information. For firms with significant retail business, this will inevitably incorporate data which is used to inform the firm's own assessment of how it treats its customers fairly or meets its TCF obligations. 
So really, it's about looking at the existing MI suite and identifying what it can already tell you about vulnerable customers and where are those shortcomings. And make no mistakes, this will be an iterative process of enhancements over time as the firm builds its own knowledge base and experience of vulnerability. As the FCA is doing, firms will need to overlay a vulnerability lens across their products and services. For example, the compilation of complaints MI and root cause analysis will be a quite well-developed discipline within most retail-focused firms. Firms should be seeking to understand what the MI and the RCA, root cause analysis, tell them about vulnerability across their customer base. Similarly, quality assurance processes should incorporate a vulnerability lens. In terms of staff training and development, firms are likely to have specific training on vulnerability, but they should also think about how they appropriately explain or address vulnerability in the context of procedural training, like in-branch account opening. There are also various analytic and technology solutions that firms can draw on to help them in the task of identifying vulnerability that might be missed by frontline agents. These include speech analytics, transcription tools that enable data mining and natural language processing, sentiment models, which detect things like laughter, cross-talking, changes in pitch, tone, and speaking rate to help firms to review interactions that their staff have with customers. But firms who use these tools have to be quite careful to ensure that their design and operation is appropriate and robust. They've got to understand the limitations of using those tools, which may include potential bias. Overall, it's really important for firms to have these systems in place to facilitate effective monitoring and evaluation but the systems are not an end to themselves. Thanks very much, Kat. Could you provide an example of effective monitoring evaluation? Sure. So one firm identified that a certain product they offered was disproportionately likely to be purchased by vulnerable customers. In order to address this, they moved to a direct phone-based sales process, which was aimed at making it easier to identify characteristics of customers purchasing that product and to improve their understanding of those customers' needs. Thanks, Kat. Now, Karen, uh, what are some examples of how the FCA has intervened in the financial services industry to protect vulnerable consumers so far? Then past FCA interventions in this space include, first of all, stopping the practice by which some credit brokers charged upfront fees in a way that lacked transparency so that consumers didn't know that a fee would be charged. Vulnerable consumers and those with low credit scores were particularly susceptible to harm in this scenario. Secondly, finding a retail firm for mis-selling an insurance product to mobile phone customers. The FCA found that staff hadn't been properly trained to assess customers' needs, and instead they were trained to persist despite customer objections. Vulnerable consumers are at an increased risk from practices such as pressure selling. Thirdly, finding a retail bank for their failure to adequately handle mortgage customers in financial difficulty. In some cases, those customers were treated unfairly. And finally, in a recent final notice about the treatment of customers who'd fallen into arrears on lending products, the FCA found that there had not been appropriate conversations with customers to help understand the reason for the arrears. And as a result, indicators of vulnerability were missed in a significant number of cases. Thanks very much, Karen and Kat. As you both know, the FCA is separately consulting on a new duty of care for regulated firms. The way in which the FCA is regulating the interactions with vulnerable consumers through this guidance and through the principles 
may provide some insights into what is in store on the potential duty of care consultation, which is due out in May. In that regard, I note that the FCA consultation will review how the FCA applies the principles and whether new or revised principles are necessary to strengthen and clarify firms' duties to consumers more broadly. Thank you all for joining us today, and we hope that you found this podcast useful. This is a fascinating area, and one where the onus is clearly on regulated firms to act. Do please feel free to get in touch if you'd like to discuss any of these issues, or if there are any particular topics you'd like us to cover in future podcasts.